Our gospel lesson for today will serve as the basis for our sermon. It comes from John chapter 1. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the one I meant when I said, A man who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but the reason I came baptizing with water was that he might be revealed to Israel. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. Good morning. How are you guys today? Good. We are talking today about the Lamb of God. This is one of the names for our Savior Jesus. You just heard in the gospel lesson, John the Baptist said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Now that's something that I know you've heard before because we sing it every single time that we have Lord's Supper here at Mount Olive. And today we're going to have Lord's Supper when all the the grown-ups and people who have spent time studying God's Word, who've learned all about their own sin and about their Savior Jesus who gave his body and blood to take away the sins of the whole world, we sing this song, Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Have mercy on us. And we don't just sing it once. We don't just sing it two times. We sing it three times. And one of the reasons we do that is because we want you to remember, when you hear me say, the Lamb of God, you could say, who takes away the sin of the world. Why is Jesus the Lamb of God? Because he came to take away the sin of the world. Say it with me, ready? The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. What an awesome thing for us to think about. What an awesome thing for us to remember because I want you to think about this. If Jesus has taken away the sin of the whole world, has he taken away your sin? Well, absolutely. What if you don't feel like Jesus took your sin away? Well, he did, right? How do we know? Because he took away the sin of the whole world. And if he took away the sin of the whole world, that means he definitely took away your sin and my sin. Today, we focus on this wonderful truth that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, We thank you so much for taking away the sin of the whole world. 
If you had only taken away the sin of the people who would believe in you, then we would always wonder, do I believe in Jesus right? You want us to know that you took away the sin for everyone and to believe it's true for us because you took away the sins of all people, you definitely took our sins away. Help us to better appreciate what this means each and every day. Help us to be at peace knowing that all our sins have been taken away by you our precious Lamb of God. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Worthy are you, O Lamb of God, who has taken away the sin of the whole world. You are worthy to receive praise and thanks and glory forever and ever. We ask that you be with us as we ponder these beautiful truths. Help us to better appreciate who you are and the relationship that you have won for us with you. In your name we pray. Amen. Do you enjoy new introductions to people you don't know? Introductions can be awkward. They can be necessary. They could be dreaded. They can even be something you wait for for a very long time. I was trying to think of the most awkward example of an introduction I could come up with, and I was thinking of something that I'm so thankful I'll never have to experience because the only person I ever dated in high school was my wife. But I, I imagine that if you dated other people in high school and then you go to a high school reunion, you might come across somebody you did date in high school and then you got to introduce them to your spouse and that's just awkward. Then there's necessary ones. If you're applying for a job and there's a lot of other people applying for a job, if you could put yourself in the shoes of the HR person who's got, you know, 30 people sitting outside waiting to be interviewed. When the next one comes in, it's helpful if there's a receptionist to walk in and tell the HR person who this one is so they get the right application out and they can look at the correct resume. Necessary introduction. Then there's dreaded ones. Some of you know this, maybe some of you don't. Back in 2013, I broke my jaw and I had to be wired shut for three weeks, and I had to go meet my surgeon. I was not looking forward to meeting that man, and I've conveniently forgotten everything about him. I can't remember his name. I don't even remember where I went to, to, to have the introduction. I don't remember much of anything about that. I had no interest in meeting him. Then there's long-awaited ones. Maybe there's an author that you've enjoyed reading who is doing a book signing at your local bookstore. We still have one of those in Green Bay, right? Maybe you, you, you can't wait to meet that person. Maybe it's an athlete, you like the Packers, and you've wanted to meet so-and-so forever. Maybe it's a, a public servant or, or someone else that you've just longed to meet. Maybe you're still longing to meet. The people in our text who were introduced to Jesus, they did not go out there to meet Jesus. They went out there to meet John the Baptist. He was the famous one. He was the one that everybody was going out to the wilderness to see. He had drawn the attention of the Jewish leadership who went out into the desert to be introduced to John the Baptist. And if you look at the portion of John's gospel that comes right before this, they were asking him all sorts of questions. Are you the Messiah? No. Are you the prophet Moses come back from the dead? No. Are you the prophet Elijah come back from the dead? No. Well, who are you then? And he quoted Isaiah. I'm the voice of the one calling in the desert. Make straight the way for the Lord. 
preaching that message, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Think about that message for a minute. Repent. When? Now. Why? For the kingdom of heaven is near. That's a powerful message. There's something wrong with you. You're not right with God. Repent right now. Admit who you are right now. Turn to God for forgiveness right now. Don't wait because the kingdom of God is near. You have no idea how long you have on this earth. Repent now. It's a powerful message. And then one day, Jesus walks by and he points at him and he says, Look, the Lamb of God. That must have been a little awkward. We don't like the idea of human sacrifice. Worse yet, child sacrifice. If you're watching something on TV, a historical documentary, and they're talking about some long since past civilization that practiced human sacrifice, or worse yet, child sacrifice, it kind of gives you the heebie-jeebies, doesn't it? We don't like thinking about that kind of thing. God's people were very familiar with the idea of blood sacrifice. Lambs were being sacrificed in the temple day after day. Special lambs like the Passover lamb, year after year. The lamb was a sacrifice. And here John is pointing to a human being. Look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the whole world. Look, everyone, this is the one who's going to die for you, who's going to pour out his blood as a sacrifice for you, you horrible, sinful, wicked people who need to admit your sin and be forgiven. This is the one who's going to see to it that you are forgiven. He's going to give his innocent blood for you. World meet your Savior. I imagine that would have been a bit of an awkward introduction, but necessary, right? The whole world needed it. And then we hear something that's, that's kind of mind-boggling, and it's going to take us on a bit of a, a geeky, nerdy path for a few minute, minutes, but you'll understand why in a second. John says, I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him, and I myself did not know him. But the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have seen and I testify that this is God's chosen one. Now, most of the time in our worship folder, we are using the New International Version 2011 edition. The software that we use to make these nice worship folders that hopefully make it easy for you to follow along in worship. They only offer that one translation spit out into the folder automatically. You can change it if you want, but you got to do it manually. You got to go find a different translation, copy and paste it in. Could have done that this week, but decided to leave it because there's an interesting teaching opportunity here. This is the only translation that I could find, and I, I only reviewed about six. I didn't spend a ton of time digging into this, but I checked six different translations. This is the only one that translates this verse, God's chosen one. 
Every other translation says, I have seen and I've testified that this is the Son of God. Kind of jumps off the page. Well, why would this one say this is the chosen one and others say this is the Son of God? You can't, you can't translate the word Son to mean chosen one, and you can't translate the word for chosen one to mean Son of God. So what's going on here? Well, this is what we call a variant. And variants make people who don't know anything about them a little uncomfortable because they say, wait a minute, how do we know what God actually said? Well, let me explain to you what a variant is. In the the world of archaeology, they are constantly finding remnants of old Bibles, right? But those remnants of old Bibles, they don't come with notes telling us whose it was or what it was used for. Maybe there's a little chunk they find that's like, uh, maybe picture the top left corner of this particular random page of the Bible, and it's just a little fragment. The top right corner, maybe one-eighth of the sheet of paper they find in a pot somewhere. And they translate the couple of words that they can see. They say, oh, that's from Zechariah 8, verse 13. We got a little fragment here. And they can compare the words to all the other pieces of Zechariah chapter 8 that they have. Well, of course, they could do that with John's gospel too. And in the New Testament, we have a ton of manuscript evidence. We have newer ones that are complete copies of the New Testament in Greek. We have translations of the New Testament in other languages like Syriac and Coptic. We have all sorts of fragments and big pieces of books of the Bible like John's Gospel. Now, there are a ton of manuscripts that have the Son of God in them. But there's a few that have the chosen one, God's chosen one. And they don't have the Son of God at all. And so it's our job then to look at these things and to ask questions like, what do we know about these manuscripts? Where are they from? How old are they? Do we know how it was used or do we not know how it was used? And we just ask all sorts of questions. Well, the translators of the NIV 2011, they know of a passage, as we all do, in Isaiah chapter 42 that says this. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. So when these few manuscripts were found that call Jesus here the chosen one, that claim that John the Baptist said, look, I have seen and I testify that this is the chosen one of God, they're making a deduction. They're saying, John says, look, God told me that the one I see the Holy Spirit descend on, the one that God puts the Spirit on, that's the Messiah. And I've seen and I testify, as Isaiah 42 says, that he is the chosen one. The question we have to ask ourselves is, which is more likely, that John the Apostle, who wrote this down, wrote down Son of God, and someone changed it to chosen one? Or does it make more sense that he wrote down chosen one and someone changed it to the Son of God? 
I would make the argument that it makes a lot more sense that he wrote down son of God and someone knowing their scriptures very well and wanting to teach said, this is what Isaiah is talking about in chapter 42. And I want people to see that connection. And so wrote in chosen one to show the connection. Maybe that'd be a helpful thing in a Bible class, right? To bring out that connection, even if the translation said son of God. Was the word of God changed? No. But I would say it's much more likely that John the Apostle and John the Baptist said, I have seen and I testify that this one is the Son of God. Now, either way, nothing is changed, right? The chosen one described in Isaiah 42, he is the Son of God. The Messiah is the Son of God. That's described elsewhere. It doesn't change the meaning. But you have to understand This is the dreaded part. You're being introduced to your your Savior who is going to be sacrificed for you, awkward, necessary, but dreaded because he's the Son of God. That means he knows everything about you and everything about me. Every thought that you've ever had that you would be horrified if anyone else knew about. Everything that has ever gone through your mind, ever come out of your mouth, everything you've ever done that would just disgust you to know that anyone else knew. He knows. He knows. Do you want to meet that person who knows the worst about you? Are you looking forward to being introduced to the God-man who knows your deepest, darkest secrets, who knows you, who knows me, better than we know ourselves? That sounds scary. But the beautiful truth about this Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world is that he knows our deepest, darkest secrets, and yet he's longing to be with us. He wants nothing more than to live with you and to live with me. He wants nothing more than for us to be introduced to him in all his glory, in the flesh, and to dwell with him forever. And he wanted that so much that the Son of God took on flesh so that he could be the Lamb of God with blood who would pour it out as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the whole world. Why did he do this? Because he wants you. He did this for you, for me. Lamb of God, you you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Lamb of God, you take away the sin of the world. Of course he's going to have mercy on us. When we sing that hymn today, Before the Lord's Supper, I I hope those words mean more to you than they ever have before. And one more thing before I say amen today. Did you catch what happened at the very end of our text? Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said, who had been introduced to Jesus, right? And who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. And tell him we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. 
you have all been introduced to Jesus. You know who he is and what he's done for you. And I realize that it can be a little awkward to introduce him or reintroduce him to someone you know and love who needs him to. But you know it's necessary. And I know from personal experience how much you often dread those introductions. How it'll seem to the Christian like there is nothing worse than introducing someone to Jesus. There's nothing scarier than introducing someone to Jesus. And you and I can be sure that the devil wouldn't have it any other way. He wants you to dread that conversation. He wants you to dread that introduction more than anything else in the world so that you don't do it. But deep down, you know that whoever's on your mind, whoever's in your heart, whoever's wandered away from Jesus and needs to be reintroduced to him, whoever you know who's never been introduced to him, deep down, they are longing to meet Jesus more than they could possibly imagine because he is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, which means he takes away their sin. Don't be afraid. It might be awkward, but it's necessary. You might dread it, but can you imagine the introduction when that person is introduced to Jesus through his word, through his sacrament, when they find the peace that you have, when they are introduced to Jesus face to face in all his glory to dwell with him forever. What an awesome thing to be introduced to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen.